Welcome to Telltale, the podcast where marketers can learn from interviews with fantastic storytellers. Okay, welcome to Telltale, episode two. I'm your host, Kurt Sanders, and with me as always is Brisbane's most prolific live tweeter of events, Brittany Dreghorn. <laughs> good morning, Kurt. How are you? Very good. Thank you. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. On today's show, we have with us Josh Cobb, the Chief Executive Officer of digital marketing company Steps. Steps has a focus on real estate, but Josh and his clients delve into the stories behind their brands and the locations behind their brands, which is um, a super interesting way to look at it. Uh, Welcome, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, very good, very good. So before we delve into your story too much and the story behind your brand, we always talk about some content marketing news, and in this case, marketing news. Uh, We've just had Anzac Day. My question is Anzac Day and marketers. Why can't they just keep their filthy mitts off it? Why can't marketers keep their filthy mitts off everything? <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. Love him or hate him, Gary Vaynerchuk says, everything's great until marketers fuck it up. Oh. So, you know, super interesting. But Anzac Day, a couple of examples I came across. A funeral company had put a massive sign up in their window um, of the Ode, which is, of course, um, you know, an Anzac Day solace tradition. Um, But at the bottom of that sign, it had a big George Hartnett Funerals logo. Is it disrespectful? Are these brands really paying tribute to the diggers, to Anzac? Or is this just horrific marketing? Yeah, I I think it's culturally insensitive. I think that brands feel the need to jump on everything. It's like the everything's so unstrategic that it's like this day has come up and we're going to leverage that because we haven't looked at how anything else will fit into our marketing strategy. Yeah, sure. So, like, I mean, a couple of years ago, Woolworths had an absolute shocker by getting people to upload their photos. Um, and, you know, it was something about the spirit of Anzac. Or something. And, you know, everyone quite rightly went off, mm. you know, and it's, it feels like it's one of those days. Like, no, it doesn't feel like it is one of those days. Like, you, you just shouldn't go near it in my opinion what are your thoughts yeah look I, I, this this is a i think a part of a bigger problem in in any business not just not not any particular industry i think it's the the fact that it's a box to tick it's a it's a date on the calendar that the marketing <laughs> team are um this is coming up we have to be part of the conversation exactly and we have to tick the box that we've created a really pretty looking meme or a <laughs> or a or a uh the ode, for example, and plaster our logo. I think I, I remember Kia. Kia cars put a Kia car in the in a bed of um, poppies or something. Oh my Kia. god! And, and I so, did not see that. Yeah. I, so look, it's things like that. It's it's we, we tick the box. Our brand is there. It's, we by associating our our logo or our product with the the the, the day or whatever the the date is. It's um. That's the problem. It's a it's a box on the marketing calendar to tick. It's not something that we can tell. Instead of making our brand the hero on those days, I think we should be we should be using our brand to tell the stories of others and making them the heroes. And that's something that brands do really poorly. Yeah, across sure. any industry. Yeah. Okay. So the second example is of course sport. Now, is this the untouchable thing, the untouchable product in Australia? We have athletes who screw up all the time sex scandals drug scandals but for some reason big sports have integrated anzac day into their offering with little to no trouble whatsoever is that is are they clearly with the diggers with the spirit of anzac day or are they just trying to sell tickets and 
And if it's not that, how has it worked so well for them? I heard a, there was an interesting conversation about this exact topic yesterday that I was listening to, and there was the, the, the argument was someone was saying, look, yes, it's disrespectful to the day. There's been a, a gentleman come out, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he was saying, he's talking about the, the cultural insensitivity and why sport shouldn't be played on, on these, these days of remembrance. And I, 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 I see where he's coming from, uh, but I think as well, um, the other side of the argument is that sport is a coming together of people. And if you can get 50,000 people into a stadium to uh, celebrate being Australian and the sacrifice that all these people made, you're celebrating that. You're not, you're not, being, you're not being insensitive in that way. So I think I can see both sides of the argument. I'm kind of on the, I don't know where I sit on either one of those, but probably more to the point that we're, we're there together celebrating a sport together. And so I, I think it's okay as long as the, the brands who are involved in that sport are not being like the the leveraging that. or the, yeah. yeah they're not they're not leveraging it so yeah. I think I think there's there's a couple of layers but I think it's a good thing that we celebrate that and it's also that they're looking at the audience right because really this same day could be very doing that sort of thing and embracing the sport side of it in any other country may not work but we are mm. Australian so it's the same as the whole drinking culture like that's how we celebrate or remember anything yeah. so to say that a brand is promoting drinking on that day being culturally insensitive well mm. it's wrong really well, I'll, because I'll, I'll, that's I'll, what I'll we agree. do that's I'll, our culture totally agree I'll throw another thing in the mix here and could be controversial but it's sweet you go you go to the you go to the states right and kurt you've been to the have you been to the states prick no so you go to a sporting game anywhere in the u.s right and their military and their armed forces are celebrated at every game and it is before that they um it's celebrated before the game even starts we do it once a year Mm. I think that's complete bullshit. I think mm. it should be in every game. Mm. And, and maybe think, then it would be less sensitive. Well, yeah. maybe. So, look, maybe that's just my own personal belief, but I think the sacrifice they made should be celebrated in every game. It's not just necessarily do it for one. So that's probably part of another discussion. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, if you go back to is it culturally insensitive, I don't think it is. I think it's it's the brands that make it cultural, culturally uh, inexcusable by their actions I think the sport happening on the day is not so bad alright final thought on this Um, we're sitting here talking about it on a marketing podcast (laughs) so you know are we the worst potentially no we're not (laughs) no way man (laughs) no it's good you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem (laughs) fair enough alright let's move on Josh Cobb CEO of Steps, a digital marketing company that's focused on real estate so Josh Let's start from the start with you. You saw a massive gap in the market in real estate for digital marketing and to sort of change the perception and change the focus of how real estate agencies and and real estate professionals approach their digital marketing. How did it start? So the story behind it. And secondly, how do you get who are potentially some of the most disliked people (laughs) in any industry to buy into something that is about story, that is customer focused? Let's start with the problem, I suppose. Um, you're right. Real estate is consistently, for the last five years, has been ranked 28th out of 30 on the image of trusted professions research by Roy Morgan. Now, that's not real estate salespeople um, specifically, that's everyone in real estate. So, that, that we throw property managers into that category. Anyone who's acting as a real estate professional falls into that category whether we like it or not. Everyone's got a story about a a property manager or a salesperson 
who they've had a bad experience or everyone's as soon as you I think I told my parents I, I just I was a drug dealer for many years when I was in real estate like <laughs> you know oh thank god a, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean I'm joking of course mum and dad if you're listening um, but it's it's not an industry that is perceived to be um, something that people trust as much as something like nurses or school teachers so that's the that's the problem and the problem for real estate agents is getting people to interact with their content or their marketing when you are one of the most distrusted industries on the planet is a very difficult thing to do so you need to cut through that public perception before you're even at the starting line so that's the problem and when i started in real estate i came from a background in music as you know and it's to go and interrupt people with content and with advertising was so it just felt so awkward to me so to go out and interrupt people's lives and uh, and it just it didn't feel right to me so i started looking at how other brands outside of real estate were getting the phone to ring the other way more you know as well as all the other marketing and advertising they did the phone was ringing the other way more so so that was the that was the opportunity that i saw for brands who would adopt these marketing practices that you guys know so well as this concept of content marketing to get the phone to ring the other way so that was the first challenge was to get over that public perception once you've done that you then have the ability to communicate with them on a level that no one else in their marketplace was doing so that was the opportunity now to get people to interact with the real estate brand it, it did it started with with content so if we use some examples like marcus sheridan the the pool guy out of the states that if anyone knows content marketing they've heard of marcus sheridan they know that story is that that's where we started was we worked with a couple of brands in the beginning of answering every conceivable customer question you could possibly imagine about real estate we put it on their website we promoted that out through the various channels to bring traffic back to their website and that's what we did for the first 12 months of the company without promoting who we were to talk about our company we didn't sell products or services uh, at that point all we did was build case studies around this concept of content marketing then when we had the data, that's when we started advertising that, hey, we sell stuff. We, we provide these services. And that's, that's how I built the company, was to, was to prove that it works first, then go and sell this concept to real estate agents. And now we run workshops. We've got a podcast with 42,000 people that get that on a Sunday morning. And it's all been built off those initial case studies. And from there, we've just built however many more, hundreds, uh, if not, you know, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of other case studies now that we can show during those workshops to hey to say hey what you're doing is interrupting people this is a way that you can get the phone to ring the other way it's a much more comfortable approach to marketing and and it's working extremely well for the people that are doing it Josh can you talk a bit about how you're really adding value for these clients like they're coming to you do they know what they need from you and how do you actually <laughs> add that value for their customers and for them and like what are the elements of that good question so the that's always front of my mind I at the, the the first thought I always have is how can I make you the real estate agent or agency as a company look better to your community that's my first thought it's not how can I get more money from you so that we can make more money as a company? Our focus is how can we make you look like the subject matter expert? So that's first, you need to be thinking that way, I think, first before you go into an engagement with it. And that's true of any industry, right? Any industry, yeah. any industry, completely. So, I mean, I should disclose as well that what how we built our company is basically a model that's been done in hundreds of other industries and it's been around for hundreds of years. So 
going back to your question, how do we add value? How do we show that we're adding value to them? It's numbers and results. So a lot of marketing agencies and companies out there who are providing website development services, content services, lead generation services, social media services, advertising, all that stuff is they're very poor at showing conversion data. They're very good at showing this is how many people I can get your get eyeballs in front of your content. This is how many uh, impressions I can get you on Facebook. Here are the results. That stuff is how we've been able to build enormous trust with some 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 of the agents. Some of the agents we work with are some of the top performing agents in the country. And the way we've been able to establish trust with those people has been through these are the this is the uh, uh, the, the conversion data and the results and what that means in terms of dollars, not in terms of Facebook likes or any of that stuff is this is what it means in terms of dollar value to your business. And that's how we've been able to show that value to the customer, to the, to our clients. Yeah. yeah sure. That's interesting because none of the things that you're doing are different to anybody else really, but it's the no. way you're packaging them and showing the results from that whole process. People come in and do one of those things and they can't show the same kind of results. Exactly. And that's why I think the, um, yeah, we will never be a. Um, it's the whole concept of those lead generating companies is just so awkward to me. It's um, I get that they're they're out there generating leads for people and they're showing conversion data and that's really important. But it's um, it, it, to be able to do that consistently is a very difficult thing. And I think if you if you yeah if in any industry if you can show to your clients that you're you're getting them a return on their investment in you then that's a magical thing. If you can't do that, they're always going to question the value. So yeah, we're pretty transparent about that. Sure. So kicking back to something you said before, 42,000 subscribers on the Real Estate Pros podcast. That's it. It's a pretty, pretty great audience. Um, I'm pretty sure any small to medium business would kill to have the email address of 42,000 people who are actively keen to hear from you every week. In their niche. Yeah, in their niche. So super niche, actually. Mm. Super niche, not just like this broad real estate thing. It's actually, you know, niching right down. So tell us the story behind how you built that, um, the idea behind it, and how you've potentially pivoted it as you've gone along. Well, it started in 2014. So October 25th. First, 2014 was the day we launched the company. You were at the launch party. I was. It was. It was a good it was. one. Um, crack of a night. Yeah. And uh, it basically started with, I remember listening to a podcast about 12 months before called Entrepreneur on Fire with John Lee Dumas. And a lot of people listening will know who that guy is um, and, and his success story and, and how much money he makes from, it's a daily podcast if you didn't know. And I thought, I was, I was looking at this guy going, all he does, he, he interviews people. And I, I was attracted to his podcast because it was it was a moment in my life where I was wanting to start a business and I was listening to all these other people who had done the same and sharing their stories of success. And I looked at what John was doing and he was basically helping them tell their stories to his audience and he was growing his audience around that. And that's where the kind of the penny dropped. It was like it, creating content and making someone else the hero of your content and telling their story and you're just the marketplace for that story made complete sense to me. So that's where the light bulb went off about 12 months earlier and, and uh, it took a little while to get the things in motion. And I was in the industry already. I've been in real estate for 12 years now. So it was a matter of calling all the people I knew all over the country who had influence in the industry. And I said, I'm starting this podcast. You have an amazing story. Um, you know, Would you be interested in an interview? Now, I couldn't have done that with a cold 
someone I didn't know. So that's why I really relied on my networks and, and people in the industry in the, in the early days. And uh, said, would you be interested in an interview to tell your story to our audience? And of course, they said yes. I was really lucky that they did. And uh, that's how it started. And we started interviewing people and um, sharing it with them first. They would share it with their audience. We'd get traffic to our website. We'd convert them into subscribers. We'd share it with our audience. And it just, it, it, but we re- I really leveraged those relationships that I previously had with um, people of influence in the industry and used, I shouldn't use the word used, but I, I, uh, I certainly leveraged their audiences mm. to help me build ours around a common cause, which is to, to help people get smarter about marketing in yeah. real estate. As Andy Crestadina from the US, Orbit Studios says, an ally in creation is an ally in promotion. promotion. So it's it's probably one of the number one takeaways I've ever had in content marketing. And mm. it's, it's super powerful. Well, it helps you reach an audience that you couldn't reach on your own. And now if you're creating a podcast on, I mean, after we've done this, you guys will share it with me and I, I hope uh, if we've done it. No, nah, mate, we're not in it for that. Okay. <laughs> Fine, you go on your own. <laughs> go on alone. But uh, no, look, it's, it's something that, you know, we will certainly share with our audience. So it, this is how it works. Relationships in digital marketing are so important and it's that that's it really worked for us and uh, six months into it we had maybe a couple of thousand people who had subscribed to the podcast um, and what are we now two and a bit years later we've we've got 100 and I think 115 episodes uh, we're now moving into video a lot more we're doing video content uh, as well as the podcast um, but it, for the first two years all it was was the podcast interviews promote it like heck every single week. It wasn't a daily podcast. I, said, I wanted to do a daily show. And I rang a mentor of mine and I said, um, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I'm going all in with a daily podcast. And he's like, you're crazy. You will never achieve that. I'm like, I'll show you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and recorded, I think, four episodes leading into the launch of the company. And I'm like, yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> this is really hard. So I, uh, I thought weekly is enough to stay front of mind with my audience so i think anything less than weekly you're you're it's very difficult to stay front of mind and we've kept that consistently every single week for however many weeks and um you know today we've yeah 40 40, 000, email subscribers so it's great communicating with those people every week for free and they're engaged right yeah yeah look the engagement we um we certainly spent a lot of time optimizing the things like um you know your, your your subject lines of your emails and your titles of the show and the people who we get the topics we talk about uh one of the little trick that you, you're i'm sure a lot of your listeners have probably heard before is every time someone subscribed we would ask them a question every time every single time and they'd hit subscribe uh and it would say what's one thing that you would like to learn more about or a problem you'd like to solve when it comes to digital marketing right now in your business and that we've never had to think of content to create because we're creating stuff that our audience is asking for and uh, i could show you the evernote file with mm-hmm. with those responses we're talking tens of thousands of content ideas that we never have to go sourcing and we're always creating content that people actually want and that's that's a trick that um I learned, who did I learn that from? I can't even remember now, but it was, that changed the game completely. Okay. Let's shift the focus a little bit now. We've just spent a bit of time talking about a podcast that technically is about utility content, right? About helping these people achieve what they want to achieve in their business. Hopefully. So I'll editorialize a little bit here. And I think utility will always be part of it. But now I'm, now I believe that 
brands are crazy if they don't move into top funnel entertainment mm-hmm. as well. Totally agree. Explain. <laughs> Thoughts? Me. Oh, look, Britt's like, no. Yes. No. no, I definitely think because the utility stuff has been done. So if you're trying to do it, you better be good at it and you better have the resourcing to do that. Mm. So trying to compete with all of these massive media brands who are able to produce the same stuff that's out there is crazy. Um, but what you can do is definitely differentiate your brand by going in there and creating something that's entertaining that obviously answers your customers' questions or entertains them in something that's relevant to your business. Um, it doesn't have to be direct, though. It's just something that all of your audience have in common. For sure. I, 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 re- I totally agree. I think I think it does depend on the industry as well. And I think if you're, if you're really niching or niching, uh, wherever you're listening from, <laughs> uh, if you're niching down into an industry, something like real estate... Um, there's some cheeky buggers in real estate, right? So <laughs> there's there's no shortage of people who want to be enter- real estate agents who want to be entertained. Um, we, so on that on something we, we did a little while ago that was extremely successful on the entertainment side was um, with no expectation of, and we just did it for fun because we thought it would be fun. We um, we went and looked for bad reviews of real estate agents. Oh yes, that must have been difficult. No, it, it's surprising, <laughs> everywhere. surprisingly not. Uh, but you only ever see the good ones from real estate agents. Oh, yeah. We always had we have, we have this joke, right? That you only ever see my LinkedIn newsfeed is just clogged with real estate agent reviews. You know, look at my latest review on xyz.com.au, and it was just and I thought. Surely it can't be that hard to find some bad ones. So we, we went looking, and it, it isn't that hard. We found websites with thousands of negative escaping Prolific. Reviews. Prolific. <laughs> well, so, yeah, we found these reviews and taking inspiration from our, our friends in, uh, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, if I'm not mistaken, who did the Actors Read Mean Tweets. <laughs> so we, we did the same thing. We, got, we did Actors Read Negative Real Estate Reviews. So we got these actors in a studio, and um, I'm, I'm standing behind the camera. We had uh, you know all these cameras set up. And these actors came in and they would recite the reviews um, with the emotion and the, the and conviction that, that, that they were written in. <laughs> so it was extremely... I was sitting behind the camera wetting myself for the entire day and we had these actors read. So from a, an entertainment value, that got enormous reach and enormous engagement with, with agents. We had no expectation of... We didn't, there was no call to action on the end. There was a tiny little watermark to, to um, connect that to our company on the videos, that was it. There was no call to action whatsoever. So from a from a top of the funnel entertainment value, that was something that performed extremely well to your point. And then the utility side of things, if I think if you've got a little bit of both, I think you, you, you're doing well. Definitely. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think you're right. If, if you're going to be captain serious all the time, um, it's important to have that because you have to be perceived as the subject matter expert. To, to do it to get trust with a brand so I think yeah you're right I think you do need both I that is absolutely hilarious that. and I want to watch them all <laughs> I'm not your target market but I'm all about that well I tell you what we're going to embed that we'll embed a video notes. in the show yes. notes so you guys sure. can have a look which will be great yeah. okay it's time <laughs> Our segment, The Little White Lie. Every week we ask our guests what's one of the best little white lies they've ever told. Um, now, disclaimer, I've known Josh Cobb for a long time, so I probably know tons of his little white lies. But it's going to be interesting to see what he comes up with. Maybe maybe the one the one I'm probably going to, that comes to mind when, you, when you, you told me you are going to ask me this. The one that came immediately to mind was probably uh, a turning point in my my music career, um, but the, but yeah, you, when you, you decided know, to get you, out of it, yeah. <laughs> if you know anything else, you let me know. Um, 
Yeah, do you want me to share? Yeah, yeah, go. Look, it's, yeah, now's um, the time. The only one I could think of, off the top of my mind, I'm sure there's others. I'm sure my wife would be able to um, to, to tell of more. But the one that springs to mind was back in high school. Uh, it was about 2000, the year 2000. I was in grade 10. And my music teacher, sorry, the, the assignment that we were given for music was... Uh, uh, to, to write a composition and we had to write the composition um, using this software I can't remember the name of the software but we had to write the sheet music for it and uh, then uh, you know we would present that as our, as our assignment and it was getting pretty close to the um, the end of the, uh, the the assignment and it was getting close to submission time and I was I was learning piano at the time so I, I, could, I could read sheet music and, and I was playing this song one day and I thought this is really songs and um, it was by a composer uh, by a piano player who you're all going to cringe when I name him his name was Joshua Catterson <laughs> and I, I remember like, Joshua Catterson I was learning this song right and I thought no one else has heard of this guy he's the Kenny G of piano he right? is the Kenny G of piano <laughs> and uh, so anyway so you can think of long, long curly hair you know the, the, the beaming sort of um, portrait on the front of his book and anyway so I thought no one's heard of this guy. I'm never going to get this assignment finished. So I decided to uh, use his uh, sheet music from the book I was reading out of to compose my uh, my assignment in. The... Anyway, so <laughs> little did I know that not only was the music teacher going to read the sheet music. That's what I, that's what I thought he was going to do. Just read it, and they go, "Oh, that's a great composition," and uh, and leave it at that. But no, this software apparently, when he got our assignment. Not only the sheet music, but the software version. He um, all he did was press play, <laughs> and would play the music that I had mapped out in this software. And uh, he came to me one day. He pulled me into the office, and he goes, "Josh, does this song sound familiar?" And he pressed play, and I went, "That's that's my assignment." And he goes, "Have you heard this song as well?" And he put the CD in the CD player. And I thought, oh, I'm done. I'm done for him. And he let me, he, luckily, he let me redo it. He gave me a two-week extension to redo it. I was very lucky. And then you used Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> no points for creativity. And, oh, it was, it was the worst moment of my life and uh, oh. at the time. And it was just, it was so embarrassing. And I, it was a little white light. I played it to mum, actually. I remember <laughs> playing it to mum. And she was like, that's a great song. Did you write that? Oh, no. And she, I said, yes. And, sure did, uh, anyway, So that's the only thing that comes to mind that, um, yeah, if if you're if you're ever going to copy anything that anyone's done before, uh, yeah, don't do it. You just can't. <laughs> you, you, you can't, just and can't. it's embarrassing. It brings you it's straight away credibility gone. So yeah. I think it's yeah. That well, it's a good like lesson. That. Right? Yeah, that's a key takeaway. Yeah, key <laughs> takeaway. Yeah, key <laughs> takeaway. Among all the others, Josh Cobb. Thank you for joining us on the Telltale Podcast. Congratulations, guys, on the launch of your show. It's yeah, so thank you. It's Episode number two. Episode two. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Brittany, as always. Thanks for being behind the mic. And uh, don't forget, people out there, if you've got a tale to tell, tell it. Thanks for listening. Telltale is part of the Content Division Podcast Network. You can subscribe on iTunes or stream it from the contentdivision.com.au forward slash podcast. Then you